Good morning, everyone. So glad to be here this morning. Glad you're here, and I hope that you're ready for God to move and God to speak to us. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and just to receive, Lord, in a corporate way. Lord, who you are and what you want to speak to us, that we can be empowered by your spirit, that we can be all that you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this time that as I share, Holy Spirit, just take over. And I pray that you would interpret to each one that hears, to each one that is watching online, exactly what they need to hear. That, Father, they would know they have encountered you today and that they'll leave changed. So come and have your way. And we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we sing this morning about have your way. Do what you want to. We welcome you, Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We fully surrendered. Come. And in my spirit, I hear the Lord saying, will you even recognize me when I come? Will you recognize the fullness of who God is? God the Father who loves us with an unconditional love. Jesus the living word who's alive and speaks. And Holy Spirit, wild, unexpected moves of the Holy Spirit. Will we recognize the fullness of who he is and how he wants to move? Two weeks ago in worship, we were singing about giants in the land, taking down the giants. And we love that, that picture of the principalities that are over this nation in particular and taking down those giants through our prayers and our proclamations. And in the worship, I could see in my spirit the Lord giving me a bird's eye view of this nation. And on the East Coast, and I could see him looking out over the nation, the captain of the host looking above with the armies of heaven behind him, ready to come in and to fulfill all the cries and the intercession of the saints. And yet, as he was looking out at these giants, he was fixed on one giant in particular. And I asked, Lord, what is it? Because I knew that that giant was hindering and blocking the fullness of what God wanted to do. He said, it's unbelief. It didn't necessarily surprise me because we live in a world of unbelief. We live in a nation of many unbelievers. But yet, if you understand principalities and how they are empowered, it's because the people on the ground in that territory, they are partnering with a lie. They are agreeing with what the enemy is doing, many times not even knowing it. And so I was asking, Lord, where is this coming from? Who? Said the church. Now that's not one of the most encouraging words that I've received that I just want to quickly share with everybody. Because I had to ponder, Lord, what does this mean? We in the church, we can expect unbelief from the world, those who don't know Christ, those who don't have the spirit of Christ within them, but, but the church... There has been a remnant for sure who has been standing and believing in faith for what God wants to do. But you have to understand a remnant can help break through the enemy lines. Just like in warfare, 
you have those special ops teams. That small contingency that goes ahead to break through, but what's the point? What's the purpose? It's to bring everybody else in. And so when I hear talks about the remnant, yes, a remnant has its place. And many times it's those intercessors, those watchmen who are on the front lines, who believe and who see. But yet God's whole desire and purpose is to bring everybody in. He is sanctifying his bride, the body of Christ. And we must carry his heart for the entire bride. And yet there is unbelief that is rampant within the body of Christ. We see it many different ways. Perhaps the latest and most recent is uh, the Asbury Revival, Asbury Outpouring. If you've been keeping up with what's happened on this campus in Kentucky, where Holy Spirit is moving. And if you're online, now we know everyone's an expert. What is revival? Is this revival? Is this really an outpouring? What's really happening? Well, this isn't what it is. This is what it is. All of us have our opinions, our experiences, and yet we turn into critics. Are we really building faith and belief within the body of Christ? Do we believe how God might want to come, how he might package himself? In the first century, they, they experienced the same thing. The disciples, they were looking for a Messiah, but they had totally different expectations, and they missed his coming. Every generation, it's something different. Will we recognize in this generation how he wants to come? Will we choose to believe? So what I want to share with you today is we're going to talk about belief. What you believe and why. Because as believers in Christ, filled with the Spirit of God, we should be leading the way to what's true and right and good. We should be filled with belief and faith. We have the leverage. Jesus said in Luke 18, 8, actually it was one of the disciples, says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. This is talking about God's desire to move in. He wants to bring justice. He wants to bring justice to this nation, to the nations of the earth. And he doesn't like delaying. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will you believe? Will you see me when I come? So let's talk about belief. Let's look at what is belief. And then we're going to define some terms in terms of being a critical thinker in a culture of critics. And when I'm talking about a critical thinker, I'm talking about being a kingdom thinker. So we're going to define some things. I want to give you some key principles of what that looks like. And then we're going to get real in the body of Christ and where we're leaning, our own understanding. So what's the biblical definition of belief? I pointed out two scriptures. One is Matthew 6, 6, where it says uh, Jesus could do no miracles. It says he marveled at their unbelief. Now, this is talking about Jesus' own hometown of Jerusalem. He could do no miracles because of their unbelief. That word unbelief means disbelief, lack of Christian faith, unfaithfulness, disobedience. Whoa. Unbelief is disobedience? 
Acts 19, 8 and 9, it talks about the Apostle Paul. It says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. That word unbelief means not to allow oneself to be persuaded, to refuse belief and obedience. Well, there's that word again, disobedience, tied to unbelief. Now, you've got to stop and think about this. We're talking about faith. And I don't know about you, but when we talk about faith, oftentimes, you know, and I've even said it many times, you know, we grow in our faith. And we can see this as a continuum of, you know, you start with a little faith and then you, you try to get more and you grow in it. But that's not how the Bible defines faith. Even Jesus said, it's not the amount. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be removed, and it will. So it's not about the amount, how much you have. It's what you do with it. Because true faith always requires action. It always requires you to do something with it. And this is where we need to begin to think differently, even in how we want to grow in our faith. It's, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? Now, we actually practice this, at least I hope you do. You know, we had this declaring, uh, offering declaration today. Every time that you give a tithe and an offering, you are exercising faith, especially if you've got a small bank account and you've got bills due and you don't have the money. But because you believe what God says in his word, you act on that faith. And you say, God, no, I really do trust you. I don't just believe. No, I'm going to do something with it. And those of you who do that, I mean, we've countless testimonies of God always backing that up and providing because he is the provider. He's a source. Same thing can happen with gifts of healing. Perhaps you've seen different ones who operate in gifts of healing. They'll pray for someone. Perhaps there was a, a pain in the neck or they couldn't stand up or something happened with their leg. And many times they'll say, okay, after they pray, now do something that you couldn't before. Why? That action signifies, I believe that God wants to heal me. And many times, sure enough, that's what brings the healing. So when we're talking about faith and belief, we're talking about something of substance, that when you read the word of God and you know what he says, who he is and what he wants to do, then you're positioning yourself, okay, Lord, show me how to activate that how to demonstrate that in my own life. And then as you do, that's where the growth comes. It's because you're practicing your faith. And every time you do, you see God's faithfulness. You see how he's backing you up, and you grow in your confidence. This is the kind of people that he wants. Do you trust me enough to do something? Faith without works is dead. The world needs to see people who demonstrate who God is, not just talk about it. Words are empty. No matter how much you say you believe, what are you doing with it? So let's talk about being a critic and being critical. Let's define critic. There's actually two definitions of critic, and one is actually pretty positive because 
It's one who engages, often professionally, in the analysis, evaluation, or appreciation of works of art, like a film critic, an art critic. And that's simply someone who it's, it's their job to evaluate things. The second definition goes further to say one who expresses a reasoned opinion on any matter, especially involving a judgment of its value, truth, or righteousness. And so it, it can be seen as a positive thing, a reasoned opinion. It's objective, a critic. But in the context that we're talking about today, I'm talking about the negative definition and the most familiar, which is a critic is one given to harsh or captious judgment. I'd never heard the word captious before. And that word means one who tends to find fault or raise petty concerns. In other words, a critic is just a fault finder, looking for any little thing to pick at, to disqualify. It's negative. That's the critic. And we've got a lot of them in our culture, and unfortunately, we've got them in the church. We fall into it so easy. We, we can become critics of pastors. We can become critics of a church or critics of online personalities. We can be harsh, fault-finding. Obviously, that's not what the Lord wants. So in terms of, in, instead of being a critic, what does it mean to be a critical thinker? There's a difference. So the term critical... We'll actually use the negative term because that's most familiar, which is inclined to criticize severely or unfavorably. You can get around a critical person, and, and they are the fault finders. They're looking for things uh, that aren't right. But there is a positive definition of being critical, and that is exercising or involving careful judgment or judicious evaluation. Careful judgment or judicious evaluation. Now, as a believer in Christ, you, if you look in the scripture, where's the term critical, you probably won't find it. But what we do find a lot of is judging. Right judgment. And that's what this definition is pointing to. It's a judicious evaluation. It is not subjective. It's subjective. A reasoned a reasoned perspective. And why, why is this important, by the way, right now? In case you haven't realized, we're, we are in, a, we're in numerous kinds of wars in the spirit, but one is an, a war on truth. What is true? What do we believe and why? It requires critical thinking, not critics. And this is where we should be set apart. We should be set apart from the world and how they react to all that's going on. Because of the Spirit of God within us and the Word of God, we should be positioned to judge rightly. Because truth is not subjective. It's objective. Psalm 119, 160, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. This is the power of God's word that we should be able to apply in all of these different areas. This is what it means to be a critical thinker, a kingdom thinker that sees a bigger picture than what others see, that we don't get so focused on the minute details that we don't like, 
but we're seeing, wait a minute, what is God's perspective? What is he doing here? How do we evaluate this rightly? So I want to share with you seven keys to what that looks like, to judge rightly, to be a critical thinker, okay? The first one, very important, is to surrender your self-will. And just to determine, this is not about you. John 5.30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. A core principle in judging rightly is that you lay down your right to be right. And in the church, it means being willing to evaluate your own belief system, your own doctrines, those things that you've always believed that maybe need to change, maybe laying down some sacred cows. Surrendering your self-will, it's what he wants, not what I want. That's key. You get tested a lot in this in, in your marriage, right? You, you learn that it's not just about what I want or what I think. It's we're in this together. This is where we work it out in community. In terms of what we believe is we test it with one another and we defer so that we can hear things that we need to hear. Surrendering self-will. The second key is we have to settle that the word of God sets the standard. That's the bar, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, or judging, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We have to settle this. Because in our culture, there's many standards that have been set for years, but see, the, the Antichrist spirit is trying to change the standards. You can call it a globalist agenda. It's the same thing. It's an Antichrist spirit, anti-God, trying to change that bar. And even in the church, unfortunately, in the last 10, 20, 30 years, doctrines of men creep in to try to lower that bar, to try to change that standard God's heart, God's word. That has to be the standard. That has to be that place that we go to to rightly know what is true, what is good, what is righteous. Not as rules, because it's a reflection of the living word. It always brings life. So the word of God must set the standard. The third key to critical thinking is to remember that appearances can lie. I think we're finding out what we see on screens, what we see reported in the news, what we even hear from teachers, what we even hear from doctors. Everything's been thrown to the wind because we thought we could trust what we see, just what we know in our human understanding. But see, appearances can lie. John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now, understand what I just said. We are ordered to judge with right judgment. If you hear the lie, we're not supposed to judge. We're not supposed to judge each other. There's always a context. 
Because scripture is clear, we are called to discern, to judge. But, but there's rules here as to what it's unto. Right judgment, okay, is with the Father's heart, with the Spirit's understanding. And it's always redemptive and always brings life. But appearances can deceive. They can lie. So that's why we have to have eyes of the Spirit. The fourth key, hypocrisy deceives. Whoa. And this is Romans 2, 1. It says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Okay, now here he's saying, every one of you who judges, but why is this? For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. So here again, the admonition is, is not to judge. No, but recognize that when you do, don't focus on the speck in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own. And we always have to be judging ourselves first. If you're going to judge, that's where it has to start. Lord, judge me. Evaluate my heart. Search me, O oh God, if there's anything in me. We have to start there. You know, years ago, when the Lord began to speak to me a lot about the religious spirit and free me from some things in my own life, I just began to recognize how much that religious spirit permeates us as a people. And we experienced it. I, I remember at that time, different ones coming through, even visiting crossroads. And I, be, I, I began to see a pattern. And we would get, because it, it would happen numerous times. And I remember one, uh, one couple in particular that came, and they were so excited about being here at crossroads. And, and the freedom of the spirit. And it was, they were just so in love with it. And, and, you know, compared to our old pastor, who just, you know, things had to be a certain way, you know, and rigid. And, you know, just thank God that you're, you're open to that. Well, it was only a matter of a couple of weeks when they came back and were very concerned because we didn't uh, have a word in tongues every Sunday. They felt that if this is really, you know, if we want to meet God, then we really we need to have a word in tongues every Sunday. And while well, the Holy Spirit wasn't doing that, well, they ended up leaving. Hmm. Well, another, another individual around the same time came in, and same kind of story, thank God, you know, I'm, I left the other church because that pastor was just, you know, so religious and didn't like the, the freedom of the Spirit. Sure enough, a couple weeks, come to find out that we weren't allowing enough dance, you know, in the aisles, because this person felt very called to, to dance and to express that, that worship to the Lord, and it was only a matter of time before they left. Now, it's nothing against those practices, but you see the spirit behind it? They carried the same religious spirit that they were judging because they just said the religious spirit, it has to be done this way. Well, they just spiritualized it and said it has to be done this way. And that's huge, especially in the charismatic church. We think it's all about denominations. No, it's, it's an attitude. But that's, that's an example where we can be so caught up and it usually happens the more critical you are of someone else, if you focus too much on that, you become just like them. It's a principle. That's why we have to keep our heart free. So just be aware. Lord, search my heart that I can discern rightly. So the fifth key to being a critical thinker is to remember that negative words can come back. 
in, in the measure that we use, and this is in Matthew 7 too, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The more critical that we are, it's just going to come back on us. Have you ever been around a negative person? And they just kind of carry an atmosphere with them. You know, it's just, you don't want to be with them because they're so critical and negative all the time. Again, are we setting ourselves apart that even when we judge or we're speaking truth, does it bring life? Does it bring hope? How can we change the atmosphere in calling people to see something else? See, there's a way to do this, a way to bring truth to people without being a critic. We don't, we don't want those negative words to come. We want people to be drawn to the life giver. The sixth one is that your flesh cannot rightly discern. And we've all got to deal with it. John 8, 15 says, You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Now, when I'm talking about the flesh, I'm talking about your experiences, you know, your learning or your knowledge up to that point, your family of origin, so many things that make you who you are. That's, that's the flesh. It's not wrong necessarily. But the fact is, if you are trying to judge purely based upon human reasoning and what you currently know, you're going to miss the whole thing. It's limited. What our flesh discerns is very limited. It's not the fullness. We can't rightly discern because many things are in the unseen realm. Which leads me then to the final key to critical thinking, and that is that only the Spirit can rightly judge. It's only when we're filled with the spirit of truth that we're even postured to rightly discern and to distinguish. 1 Corinthians 2, 13 to 15 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. Now, th this is very important in the days in which we live. Because the Lord is really calling us as the church to come into a relationship with Holy Spirit unlike any other time. And I just want to pause here a moment and remind you that, you know, we... This was something I learned years ago because for most of my life when in prayer or my conversation, it was just always Lord. I would address Him, Lord. But then I began to understand, well... It's actually the Father, and then Jesus the Son, and then Holy Spirit. They're three different persons. And I can have a relationship with each one. And it really got me to thinking, and I changed the way that I prayed in recognizing that I wanted to honor who Holy Spirit was and what he was doing. And Well, what specifically does he do? Can I partner with that? And, and Jesus, the living word, the word of God incarnate, who are you, Jesus, and how can I partner with you? And then God the Father. I challenge you to think about that. There is a relationship with each one of them that are very important, and we need all of them to judge and discern rightly. And it's been prophesied for a long time that 
there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's coming that's unlike any that we've seen. And this is why he says, are you going to recognize me when I come? Because we can't compare it, and I, I believe this by the Spirit. We're not going to be able to compare this with any other past revival or outpouring. I mean, we think that we, we, think we know so much about how he moves. Oftentimes, because we've had personal experiences that are powerful, it's like, oh, that's amazing, that's incredible what the Holy Spirit can do. But you got to, you know, our human reasoning, have we really tapped into the God of the universe and who he is and how he works? There is a creative aspect of God that has yet to be seen. And I believe this next move of the Spirit, it will shock many in the church because he's coming packaged differently. Now, we can believe this, but see, this has been something that every generation has had to grapple with. Bobby and I, we went and saw Jesus Revolution on Friday, the story of the Jesus People movement that was in the early 70s. Fascinating story. A lot can be learned, and I've done some deep dives just learning more about this whole move of God because it started in this small church in California, Pastor Chuck Smith, who was an expository Bible teacher. And he met this crazy hippie preacher because this was the age of all the hippies and the, the cult, what was happening in the culture at that time is very similar to what's happening today. Disillusionment, chaos in the world, everything. And the young people were crying out for more and it was a lot of drugs, LSD, all this. And Lonnie Frisbee, who was this young hippie preacher, you know how he met God? He was out in the desert naked, high on LSD, crying out for God to show himself. Guess what? God came. Yeah, he wasn't the typical uh, young missionary evangelist who walked into Chuck Smith's home. He came packaged totally different, and yet he was the spark plug. He had such a powerful anointing on his life. All he had to do was to say, Holy Spirit, come. Things would happen. And you have to understand, in that time, that hadn't happened in the church. I mean, you had the four square gospel and the, you know, the extreme uh, Pentecostals, you know, where that happened. But this, this was different. Thankfully, Chuck Smith recognized this was God. And I mean, that's what birthed the whole Calvary Chapel movement. And I mean, thousands, I mean, it just exploded all across, all across the nation and across the world. But if you follow the story, there came a point where, just about a year and a half into it, Chuck Smith, he was a little concerned with Lonnie's free spirit and some of the things that took place. He felt like it was too theatrical. And so he kind of shut Lonnie down, and, and Lonnie did leave. And those who talk about it and who are there, they'll say that you know, Chuck Smith, a great Bible teacher, humble heart, pastoral, but he really focused heavy upon the word. So Lonnie ended up going then to, uh, he had some other experiences, and he ended up then meeting John Wimber, who at that time was pastoring a Calvary church, because they were multiplying all over. And uh, John Wimber had heard about this young hippie preacher, and he, the Lord told him, you need to invite Lonnie to speak to your church. <laughs> 
And John was really nervous. He fought with the Lord. He's like, are you kidding me? He's going to ruin my church. <laughs> but long story short, you can find his testimony online. John says he invited Lonnie to come. It was on Mother's Day in the evening, that Sunday evening. And uh, he said he made the worship go extra long and added extra announcements. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. And he invited Lonnie to come up and, and share. And, and it, it was great. I mean, Lonnie, because he's a very charismatic individual, sharing scripture and different things. And so John was thinking, oh, good, okay, I'm, I'm good. This is good. You know, nothing to worry about. And then, uh, then Lonnie stops and he says, Everyone under 25, come forward. And John's thinking, well, that's most of my congregation. They all fill the altar, and then all of a sudden, Lonnie says, Holy Spirit, come. Just like that, 300 of them fell down under the power of the Spirit. Totally wrecked for the next couple hours. And John will share, he was so mad. God, how could you do this? He really didn't know if it was of God. And it wasn't until the next morning where a fellow pastor called him and he said, John, this is, this is of God. And so he, he had to adjust. And so Lonnie came and they partnered together, uh, I, I think for a year, two years. And, and again, that's, that's how Vineyard was started. Because what ended up happening is that in the Calvary movement, these pastors were seeing now what was happening at John's church, all this spiritual activity. I mean, miraculous signs and wonders followed Lonnie. And so they had a meeting of all the Calvary pastors. They invited Chuck Smith because he was a spiritual papa. And after they'd all shared, and this is from a firsthand testimony of someone that was there, they said, Chuck finally said, those who want to go with John, go over there. Those who want to come with me, come over here. And it shocked everybody. But he felt that that's what he had to do because he focused. He, he needed to stay scripture-based on the word. And that's how Vineyard started. And, of course, you know, they, they exploded as well into a major movement. So this was 50 years ago where Holy Spirit came in a way that was totally unexpected. And people didn't know what to do with it. They, were, they all tried to do the, they all wanted to do the right thing. These are all people that love God. But yet, all the struggles. Now here we are 50 years later. Have we learned anything? We're all experts at what, what God does and how he does it. We have to really check inside our own hearts. God, what are you doing? And what I would propose to you is, this really is what, what I see. It's a battle between word and spirit. The word and spirit. Getting back to the fullness of who God is. This has been a clash within the body of Christ. You know, there's a lot that, you know, out, outside in, the, in terms of what's happening in the government realm, what's happening in the medical field, what's happening in education, all these things. I mean, those are real battles that we need to be engaged in. But if we don't deal with some of these things in-house, we're not going to have any authority or any capability to speak into anything. Because we've got to judge rightly. We have to be critical in our thinking, not just emotionally react, because of a negative experience from somewhere in our past. 
let's face it, we've made a lot of mistakes in the church. The charismatic church, you know, and the gifts of the Spirit, we've made a lot of mistakes. The evangelical made mistakes. Okay, what have we learned? We have an opportunity to change it. We have an opportunity to set another example of it coming together. Jesus said in John 4, 23 to 24, the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So let's just get personal a little bit. Because this affects all of us. I've seen this. You know, in, in my, especially online platforms, YouTube, for example, my video channels, I, I see people from all over the world who follow me, who comment and engage with, with what I put out. I've got Catholics that follow me. I've got New Agers. I've got New Believers, Non-Believers, Evangelicals. I mean, the whole gamut. And I see these patterns coming out, and all of them, the majority of them, are asking honest questions. And yet I see them usually falling on one side or the other. Those who are just championing all the supernatural things and all the experiences, yay, you know, and then, and then there are those, but what about this scripture? But what about this doctrine? But what about this? They're all honest observations and experiences, but yet it's like we're, we're on two different sides of the fence. It's not either or. It's both and. The fullness of who God is. So maybe, you know, as I've been talking, you know, which way do you lean? Word and spirit. You know, for Bobby and I, yeah, I know I lean more towards the spirit. He leans more towards the word. But thank God we're together. <laughs> I couldn't always say that. Because, I mean, you know, when you're first starting in the, in the things of the Spirit, oh, the experience is amazing. I mean, the encounters, he's real, this power. You know, and I would just want to focus on that, and here's the word over here. Okay, but now what does this mean? Where is this going? Where is this scripture? <laughs> oh, just want to experience this. And yet we would be drawn together. You know, and, and, and it's kind of funny because a common comment that I hear from followers, you know, they say, you're so balanced. <laughs> I'm like, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew what it has cost me to, you know, to do this, because I, the Lord has given me this love for the body of Christ, because I see both and. And, you know, I, and I see those with, that have the spiritual experiences, and I'm like, because I've experienced some things that are crazy, just focusing on that doesn't reach some of these who, who over here. They've never experienced that. They don't know how to access it. They end up feeling condemned. You know, and then these over here, over here the word, I want to help them to have the Holy Spirit without all the negative baggage. And it really is kind of a continuum. Because the fact is, the word of God, as I said, that's the standard. And the heart behind that is that you want to do things right. We, we want to have that bar set because it's for our good. Righteousness, peace, you know, those things that are true and good. We want to honor the word of God. And we need to be workmen who need not be ashamed. But depending on how far you lean in that, 
See, people who, who lean towards the Word, you tend to want to have proof because you like to do your research, you like the details, you want to make sure it's right. But the more that you go over here and you try to make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted, see, then you begin to be walking in unbelief of anything you can't see or prove. And that's where you veer into being a critic. Of anything over here that just looks emotional, that just looks like an experience, where is it in the Word? But those in the Spirit can do the same thing. We value that encounter, that experience. The living Word is inside of me. And yet if you focus so much, I just want another experience. Or I, I hear this testimony of someone, you know, as an angel come in their room or they visit heaven. I want that praying and fasting for the experience. And then after a while, you get over here so much on experience to hear someone say, but the scriptures, you know, point out to this and, and point out to that. We can become cynical and say, you just have a religious spirit. When we need some of that foundation. And I'm telling you, this is what the broader body of Christ is grappling with. This is why many of the evangelicals have shunned the charismatic church. Because those who are in the spirit, we don't know the word of God like we should. We don't know how to speak the word of God. The experiences are real, but they should always be unto revealing Jesus. Revealing the kingdom of God and his goodness. The word of God is, is good, but without the Spirit giving life to that word, it's dead. It's just rules. So the Lord's invitation is, come on, people. I need a people of the word and the Spirit. Now, he, he showed me this in 2019. I had a very powerful prophetic dream. And in the dream, I was over here on the one side with my circle of intercessors, and I knew that we were praying and seeking the heart of God, praying for the breakthroughs that God wanted to do in the nation. And, and I could see in the distance this huge mountain, and I knew it represented the mountain of the Lord, the counsel of God. And we were trying to access this, align ourselves with it, that we could hear rightly, you know, what is he doing? But I knew we weren't, we weren't reaching it. And in the dream, I found myself having to pull away from the group and move as if there was an invisible line that was going to align me in the spirit. And I finally found it, and I stayed there. And as I did, I saw emerge from that mountain three huge and distinct beings. And the closer that they got, I finally saw there were three huge eagles. And I could feel the weight, the immensity of, of the weight, the fear of the Lord, the authority that they carried. And they came closer and closer to me. They were looking directly at me because I knew that they had been summoned. And they ended up right over top of me and not audibly, but in the spirit, I heard them say, we come together or not at all. And I woke up shaking at the fear of the Lord. I knew I had met the three in one. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Godhead wants to come and answer our prayers. But he's saying it's a package deal, folks. You need all three. You can't just pick and choose your favorite one, whatever feels comfortable to you. I was over in my comfort zone, those who thought like me, those who see like me. The Lord says, no, you got to move sometimes out of those familiar places and be willing to just get in tune with my heart. And then you're going to see things differently. 
because he wants to come in the fullness. And I guarantee you, we're all going to be surprised. I'm counting on it. Because I'm not going to assume that I have eyes to see all of what he has planned. My faith is set for the unexpected. And so I don't want to discern in the natural. I want to discern by the Spirit. But I also want to reach those that maybe can't see by the Spirit. There's a lot in the body of Christ, let me tell you. They're hungry for things of the Spirit. They need help from those who walk in the power of the Spirit to know how, how to access that, how to have a relationship with Holy Spirit who reveals the fullness of Jesus. Smith Wigglesworth was a well-known revivalist, and in 1947, he prophesied. He said, when the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidenced in the churches something that has not been seen before, a coming together of those with an emphasis on the Word and those with an emphasis on the Spirit. When the Word and the Spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. Could it be that we are the beginning of that? I believe we can be if we choose to believe. Choose to believe in the power of the written word. Choose to believe in the power of the Spirit. And that we choose to go together not just as one individual, but together because we're the bride of Christ. We're the body of Christ that's being sanctified, being prepared for this amazing reality of heaven manifesting on the earth. It's going to blow us all away. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, I invite you to stand. We're going to pray. We want to prepare our hearts and our minds for what God wants to do and how he wants us to be a part of this. So, Father, we just thank you. Father, we thank you, first of all, for the living word, for Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for coming and showing yourself, coming and giving life to the word. You are the word. And, Lord, we want a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you empower us, you enable us to even access the Father. And let me just say, because the Lord reminded me of this, the Holy Spirit always prepares the way for any move of God. We cannot come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit first draws us. So, you know, if you are looking, regardless if you are looking for Jesus' return, you want Jesus to be seen, it must be by the power and presence of Holy Spirit. And if there's any way that the church, the body of Christ, collectively leans, it's probably leaning more towards the word because of fear. So Father, in Jesus' name, we would just break off that spirit of fear. And Lord, we ask for such a hunger, a hunger for the fullness of who you are. Lord, for those who might lean more towards the word. I just pray in impartation of spiritual hunger to want to know the things of the spirit, 
that regardless of past experiences, negative or positive, there would be such a desire to be related to you, Holy Spirit, to know you on a personal level, to be excited about who you are and how you move. Father, for those who just seem to naturally flow in things of the Spirit and love it, God, I pray for a hunger to know your word, to be so filled with the word of God that, God, they could give an answer for everything that they experienced that would point people to Jesus. It would reveal truth that everyone can grab a hold of. Father, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, we just yield to you and ask you to do that work within us, that we would not be critics, but that we would be critical kingdom thinkers. We would judge rightly, that we could set the example. We could model what the kingdom looks like with joy, with peace, and it would bear fruit. So come, Lord, and we just ask you to water the seeds of what has been sown this morning. Continue to teach and encourage and equip us. Fill us, Lord, with the fullness of you, and we'll give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.